You always need to listen to the announcements. You never know when you're slated to be the one to preach. So I've had at least 10 minutes to prepare something really fast. I'm just kidding. Uh, Happy Father's Day, all you dads out there. Um, Before you get too high on your chair or on your pedestal, just remember that uh, one time a little boy was asked, hey, what's Father's Day? He said, oh, Father's Day, that's easy. It's just like Mother's Day, except we don't have to spend as much on the gift. So, um, you didn't like that? Oh, well. But, uh, but it's always a pleasure to be up in the, in the pulpit. Uh, Pastor Craig's had a wonderful vacation. I assume he's had a wonderful vacation. None of us have heard from him. So, uh, that must mean it's a very good vacation. But uh, uh, it, was, it was a great time for them to be away, just finishing up vacation Bible school and I'm not sure if you heard all the stuff off of Vacation Bible School, but our Vacation Bible School is one of the best that we've ever had. Uh, Total enrollment of 330 children. Uh, That does not include workers. Our biggest night was on Tuesday night. We had 305 children and youth here, uh, 130 workers. So on Tuesday night, we had 435 uh, people on campus hearing about the Word of God and hearing about the love of Jesus. So uh, great, great Um, Vacation Bible School this year. Thank you for what you give to the church. Thank you for the volunteers. Um, But uh, Caroline's vacation came at the perfect time following up Vacation Bible School. Uh, But glad you're here. We've got a great uh, time to to dive into God's Word and talk about uh, His love that He has given us. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for today. Uh, I thank you for dads. I thank you uh, for the dad that that was in my life. And the, and the things that he taught us, uh, not so much as always by words, uh, but Lord, the, the example that he was to, to me and my family. Uh, and so, Lord, we do love you. Uh, I ask you to be with the words that come out of my mouth today. May they glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So it was on November 4th, 2012, at about 1.15 in the morning, my life changed forever. Because it was at that moment, in that exact moment, that I became a daddy for the first time. My little, my little Catherine was born uh, about 1.15 in the morning. And one of the interesting stories that goes along with that is that uh, at 1.15, it was actually Time Change Sunday. And so, I don't know if you know this or not, but time officially changes at about 2 o'clock in the morning. And so, we're there in the delivery room and uh, just kind of chilling out and having some family time, and and you see the clock there in the delivery room automatically switches back. So it it said two, you know, it said, we're about, well, I guess it switches back at, I don't know what it is. Anyway, so it fell back. So we're sitting there, and all of a sudden the clock goes back to one o'clock. And I'm like, oh, it's one o'clock. We could do all this over again. And my loving wife looked at me as only mothers who have just given birth can look at their husbands who say something extremely stupid. Um, But in that moment, I became a daddy. Uh, And my little Catherine was born. And I had no idea up until that point how quickly and how deeply you could love somebody. Um... Because I was instantly in love. I was in love with those little toes. I was in love with those little fingers. I was in love with that bald little head. 
at that moment, I mean, she was perfect. And everything was perfect. And I think I said to myself at that point, there is no way that I could ever be frustrated or mad or upset with this beautiful child. And then she learned to talk. <laughs> there are days when I'm like, why are you so frustrating? But, but before I became a dad, I thought I, I really had the grasp of, of God's love. Like, I, you know, I, I went to seminary. I, I've studied it. I've, I've been a part of church ministry. And I really thought I understood. But in these last five and a half years of being a daddy, um, it's helped me to understand God's love even more. It's helped me to understand God's love even deeper because God has, because when I think about God's love and I think about God's love that he has for his creation, it's, it's so much more than that that I have for Catherine, that I have for Kaylee. It's unfathomable that he loves us even more than that. And so in taking that unconditional love that I'm going to love this child no matter what helps me understand God's love just a little deeper. But I want to be honest today. And men, I want you to hear me on this. We are in a war for our families. We are in a war of the definition of our families. We are in a war for the importance of our families. And we are in a war for the sanctity of our families. At the center of this war, of this, of this war is a battle that we fight every single day. Day, and it's a fight that is at the center of this. Of the, it's a battle that's at the center of this. There's a battle that takes place within our hearts of who or what is going to capture our love. We have to have a deeper understanding of the love that takes place in our hearts. And I'm not talking about a love that we have for each other. I think all of you dads out there, all of you moms out there, in that moment when that baby is born or when that baby comes into your life, um, you have that instant love. There, it's, that's not the issue. It's the love in which we love. And is that love for, our, for God or is that love for ourselves? And so we need to understand the love that God has for us, his creation, if we're going to understand, if we're going to win this battle of love within our hearts. Because really the war, this war for our family begins in our hearts. That's the root. It is this constant battle of who we love more, ourselves or do we love God more? I would love to say that me as a person that has degrees in theology that uh, have been in church work almost 20 years, that I have arrived, and that this is no longer a struggle for me. I'm up here, and I can tell you that, that because I've studied it, because I have this deeper understanding, that I don't struggle with this at all. That is no further from the truth than anything else. This is an everyday, almost every hour battle of who's going to capture my love. Is it going to be God, or is it going to be me? And so through the course of our talk this morning, or our course of our time today, 
Love is a battle of motivation. Love is a battle of contradiction. Love is a battle of deception. But ultimately, it's the battle of calling. What are we called to do as followers of Jesus Christ? And so love is a battle in our hearts, and it does not take long for this battle to rage each and every day within us. And so if you will, open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. That's where we're going to hang out today. We're not going to do a whole lot of jumping around, if any at all, because there's so much meat within what John has to tell us. And really what John is trying to do, and if you've, if you've been, uh, one of my other sermons I did was talk about the book of John. We took the sermon out of there, but, but in that, John is the beloved disciple. And so John is constantly talking about love. John wants us to understand Jesus Christ as a person. Because when we understand Jesus Christ as a person, then we understand his love that he has for his creation and the sacrifice that he went to because he loves his creation. And so love is a central topic of any of John's writings. And so when we dive into John's letters, that's what he's trying to do here. Because what's happened is the church has started, the church has been going, and as we all know, churches don't always get along, do they? Not all churches are as perfect as Ivy Creek. And so so believers have gotten together and they've studied the Scripture and and there's a group of them that decided that everything that this group was studying was not exactly what they thought was true. And so they branched off and made their own church. And what that church was really teaching was heresy. And so John is is writing this letter in, in order to encourage the church. And so he's wanting to remind the church of the basics. He's like, I I want to remind you of the love that God has for you. I want to remind you of that basic love that Jesus Christ has for you, that he came and died on the cross for you and your sins, and we are to strive to love him back. And so the expositor's commentary reminds us, the single but radical requirement for love and obedience in the Johannian epistles recalls the simplicity of Jesus' own teaching and the radical response he required of those who would follow him. This radical response is really where we find ourselves at the end of chapter 4 in the first letter of John. This radical response is how we win the war for our families. So let's read it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. See, verse 19 helps us to see as we look at our first point in our outline today that love is a battle of motivation. What motivates us to love? True love is is not just motivated by duty or obligation. If you're choosing to love something out of duty or obligation, that duty or obligation is going to fade at some point. And you're no longer going to love that thing or that person. True biblical love, that self-sacrificing, put-others-before-self type of love comes from a heart of gratitude. It is when we remember this incredible love by which we have been loved 
the magnificent gift of the love of Jesus Christ when we remember that our lives have been totally transformed, completely altered by a gift of love that we could have never earned or achieved or deserved, that we have been marvelously and continually and will eternally we be eternally loved by God, then we are motivated to love as we have been loved. When that love is the thing that fills our hearts from the first breath in the morning to the last breath we take at night before we fall asleep. When we recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from above and your life has been bathed in love, then you will love as you have been loved. Now, it seems that the longer that you follow Jesus, the more you should be amazed and gripped by His love. The more you understand and learn about Jesus and His grace, your gratitude should be increasing more and more. That seems like what should happen. That seems like that should be the natural motivation. That should be the natural progression of our faith. However, it's not always the case. I know it's not always the case for my life. As much as I've studied about Jesus and about His love and, and understand that, it's not always the case. And here's why. When you originally come to Christ, it's out of neediness. When God calls you to Him, it's because you need that grace. It's because you need that forgiveness. You've recognized that something in your life is not complete without the love of Jesus Christ. And so you're filling that need with this love. And so when we first come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's out of neediness. And you're able to walk around and you're able to say, I'm saved, I'm saved. By the grace of God, I'm saved. Because that's what I needed. I needed that forgiveness. I needed that grace. I needed that fulfillment in my life. What happens as we walk along in this journey, as we get more and more comfortable, we move from a sense of neediness. I need that grace. I want that grace. To really it becomes a feeling of self-righteousness. We lose that sense of neediness and we begin to tell ourselves that we are part of the good people. I don't, you know, I don't, I know you don't sit there in the, in the pews, you don't sit there at work and go, you know, stand on top of your desk and go, hey, I've got this figured out. If y'all just come on with me, we'll, we'll, we'll go together. I've got it all figured out. Jesus will take care of everything. We're all right. We move from this neediness to the self-righteousness. We, we get to this feeling of, I have arrived. I've got it taken care of. We're the good people. We're not like those people. We, we, we are the ones that got it right. We know what is right. We live what is right. We begin to live like we're, we've got the feeling like we've arrived. Let's be honest. We truly look within ourselves. We, we have to recognize that those feelings of arrival themselves are heresy and they are damaging to our walk with Jesus Christ. We are to love as we have been loved.
You and I only ever exist as believers based on the grace that has been given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. We need that grace as much today as we did when we first became believers. No matter how long you've been a believer, you need that grace today as much as you did when you first became a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, I would love to sit up here and make a list of my accomplishments. I would love to say, here's how many kids have gotten saved under the, the, the ministries that I've done. Here's what's Here's all the wisdom. I would love to make a, a list of the wisdom that I have, of the thoughts that I have. But when I really look down at to the heart of it, it's all because of God. Any life that's been saved as a result of the ministry that I've done was because of God. Any wisdom that I have is because of God. Any knowledge that I have is because of God and because of the grace of God. There is no righteousness outside of Jesus Christ. When your heart is filled with that kind of gratitude, then you find that light. And when you find that light, you want to share that light with those that are around you. You want to help others find that love. Love, true biblical love, explodes out of a heart of gratitude. The gratitude we have that Jesus Christ radically saved my life and makes me who I am today. So let me ask you, does this type of gratitude rule your heart? And I'm not talking about just this morning. It's easy to love God in this. It's easy to have gratitude in this environment. We're singing about the love of a good, good father. We're here with our friends. We've We've just come out of Bible study, hopefully. Uh, we've just come out of our Sunday school class, surrounded by your friends. It's easy to love God in this environment. But does that gratitude come out of you when you're at work tomorrow morning? When you've had a long weekend and, and had a lot to do and, and you just don't have quite have that gratitude? Is that gratitude there when, when you have a disgruntled customer at work? How about when the boss comes in and needs to have a talk with you about the budget? Is that gratitude there then? Is your life marked by gratitude for the love that you have been given from the Almighty God? We love because He first loved us. Now, as we continue our outline, love is not just a battle of motivation. It's also a battle of contradiction. Look at verse 20 with me. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God from whom he has not seen. I'm always struck by the, the strength of the language that John uses here. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Now, I would think that if all of us were sitting here being honest and did a mental scan of last week or the last month, we would recognize just how much this contradiction exists. Now, it doesn't take me long to figure out this contradiction exists as soon as I drive on to 985, to Buford Drive, 285, and drive through downtown Atlanta. In fact, if you really want to see this contradiction, you will drive into the J.C. Penney parking lot and the parking deck when there's a sudden rainstorm that happens. 
There are people everywhere. We say we love God. Like I said, that's easy to say in this environment. We celebrate his love for us, but there's this rub. There's this irritation that happens. This impatience, this jealousy, there's greed and selfishness that occur with the people that God has placed around us, especially our families. Those people that God has put in our lives that know us more than anybody else, there's that rub. It's shocking to me how quickly this happens. My little Kaylee, which is three and a half, and my little Catherine, which is five and a half, Kaylee knows exactly what buttons to push to irritate the hound out of Catherine. <laughs> Just does it out of spite and then smiles all the way through it. I now know how my brother felt. Uh, I'm the younger of two, uh, and he is five years older, and I was exactly that way with him. I knew exactly what buttons to push. And our families create that within us. They know us best. Our families are those we have to go home to. And so we see this contradiction probably every single day of, of what we say we love God, but we're doing something else. Now, if we were being true to the Scriptures, then we would have to say this, this contradiction is not okay. It's not okay to have this contradiction in our hearts where, where we say we love God, but we're doing something else with our actions. It's easy to say, I love God. I assure you that it's easier at times to claim allegiance to God whom I can't see than it is to live in a self-sacrificing love towards people that are closest to me. Now what John writes is a little bit different. He's asking the question, how can you say that you love a God who you can't see and you can't love people that you can see? And I'm telling you, if... And, in practice, at times it's easier to say, I love God who I can't see than to love the people around me that I can see. The words here are very specific. The words here point us in a very important direction. I would love to stand up here and say that this battle that rages in my heart is a battle uh, between love of self and love of others. You know, Jesus broke down the Ten Commandments to two. Love the Lord your God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. I would love to say that this is a battle that happens in that, in that second greatest commandment. Unfortunately, this is a battle with the first greatest commandment. The battle that is won between love of self and love of God. Like I said, my love is not, not a problem with the second greatest commandment. My love problem is a problem with the first greatest commandment. The reason I do not love the people in my life the way that I should is because I do not love God the way that I claim. Hear me? The reason I don't love people in my life the way that I should is because I do not love God the way that I claim. Let that one sink in for a second. Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me to not have this contradiction in my life. When we become self-centered, frustration begins, anger starts, and we lose the battle that is occurring in our hearts. 
Because when you look at it, the center is one place that I must never be. The center must be occupied by God and God alone. There is the battle. The battle in our hearts is that we are constantly pushing ourselves to the center of our lives. Because that's where we want to be. Our sinful nature puts us in the center of our lives. The grace of God that saved us makes us a new creation, and God is to be the center. We want to be the hero of the story. We want to make everything happen. We want it all to happen with us at the center. If you are at the center of your world, then you move from wanting to serve to wanting to be served. When you are at the center, it is hard, for, it is hard to love as we have been loved because we have been loved by a self-sacrificing, unconditional love. My greatest problem on this battlefield of love exists inside of me, not outside of me. This is an internal battle. For that, I need the loving rescue of my Heavenly Father. And so it's funny how God teaches you things as you're learning things. And so God thought, Dave, I, I think you need to be humbled a little bit. And so yesterday, you know, I'm, it's Father's Day today, obviously, and, and I'm working, working today. Um, and so I thought yesterday would be a great day to relax, chill out, have ice cold tea in my hand, sit on the chair, watch the U.S. Open, watch the carnage that happens. I mean, who doesn't want to see professional athletes do the same things that I do on the golf course? I mean, I can make a 10 on a par 4 quite often. So that was the plan. I was going to sit back and watch television, watch the U.S. Open, maybe flip back to the Braves a little bit, but... Here's what I did on my Father's Day celebration. I went to the grocery store. That was fun. I did go to Waffle House. I'll give you that. Went to Waffle House, and then went to the grocery store. And then I got to come home, and I got to cut the grass. Now, as I was cutting the grass, I noticed there's a big puddle where there's not supposed to be a puddle of water. Hmm. When water's where it's not supposed to be, that's usually a big problem. And so then I proceeded to finish up the grass and then look for a leak in our sprinkler system and didn't find it, still looking. So if, any, if anybody's an irrigation specialist, let me know. Um, so uh, got worked on that problem a little bit, and then I got to finish the day by pressure washing my deck. How fun is that? Now, I say that jokingly. Because God taught me a lesson with that. Because if I'm, if I'm motivated out of, out of myself, if I'm putting myself at the center of this, of this picture, I could have spent yesterday very anger, angry. I could have spent yesterday bitter. And then as I went to dinner last night with my family, I could have been very upset and mad that I spent my day doing yard work, doing things that needed to be done around the house, instead of watching television. But when I put God at the center, I realize that all the stuff 
that God has given me. I realize the blessings that He's given me. And, and I no longer am doing this out of, out of just because it has to be done. I'm doing this stuff because God has blessed me with these things and I'm being a good steward by taking care of them. I'm no longer doing this out of, out of my stuff. I'm doing this because it brings glory to Him. I'm doing this because I'm serving my wife and my children by giving them a nice-looking yard that they can play out in the grass in. That's the difference. That's the motivation. That's the contradiction that we face each and every day. Who's going to be at the center of my life? Is it going to be me? And when anything goes wrong, frustration, anger, everything pops up, or is it going to be God? With God at the center, then I know He's got everything taken care of. I know that, that I am loving as I have been loved, so I'm just loving Him back. God at the center of our story helps us win this battle of contradiction that rages in our hearts. And so not only is love a battle of motivation, what are we motivated why are we motivated to love? It's out of that extreme gratitude that Christ came down and saved us from death. It's also a battle of contradiction. That constant battle back and forth of who's going to be at the center of my life. Is it going to be God or is it going to be me? But lastly, love is a battle of deception. And you're like, deception? Think about it like this. If someone were to ask you what a mature Christian looks like, what would you say? What does it look like to live a life of faith? I'm afraid that we tend to define mature Christianity in the places that are really pretty obvious. We tend to, t we tend to think that somebody is a mature believer is because they're faithful in their attendance to church and to Sunday school. They should be. If they're wanting to learn more about Jesus Christ, then this is the place where they can learn. Well, the person gives regularly, obviously that means that they are a follower of Jesus Christ. Yeah, they should give back. All the things that God has given them, they absolutely, that should be part of what they do. All right, somebody that serves in the church, serves in the ministries of the church, that's obviously, they, if they're leading, then they've got to be a believer in Jesus Christ. They should be serving. That's how this church, that's how church works. We come together as believers and we send out and we work together to teach our community and to change our community. The problem is is that you can do every single one of those things and not be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now the problem is not that they are, these are false standards. These are absolutely things that you would do. Out of your gratitude that you have, you should be serving. You should be giving. You should be attending. But a non-believer can do the same thing. Believe me when I tell you that there are people that did every single one of these things, and when they get to the, the last judgment, Jesus is going to look at them and say, Depart from me, I never knew you. We need not be deceived in thinking our love for things we do at church are what saves us. And an example that God brought to mind is... is uh, Growing up, we had this girl in our youth group that had moved in, and we 
we had all gotten to be very good friends and, and hung out together. She was my, the same age as me. And in everything we did, mission trips we went on, Sunday school class, youth Bible studies, all that stuff, we were like, that's a picture of faith right there. She, I mean, she, she's awesome. She's obviously a wonderful follower of Jesus Christ. Well, imagine our shock when one Sunday morning she walks down the aisles talking to our youth minister, and at the end of the service they say, so-and-so has come to make a public profession of faith. She has just asked Jesus to come into her heart. We could have caught flies in our mouth because they were open so long. If she's not saved, what are we? But it's always helped me to say that just because of the things you do in church does not make you saved. Maybe, just maybe, a deeper, firmer, and more humbling definition of true biblical faith is not found in public moments. but in the private moments of our lives. Who we really are is expressed no longer in the things we do in the church, but in the way that we treat those closest to us, that being our families and our neighbors. Men, how can you struggle to love that wife who is a gift to you from God while saying that you love God? Ladies, how can you struggle to be gracious with your husband while saying, I love God? How can you struggle to be patient and kind as a parent when you're saying, I love God? A true test of our faith is this, a willing, self-sacrificing love of our neighbor and those closest to us. Now, there is no question that you love your family. But why is it so hard to be consistent in that willing, self-sacrificing love? We've all been there. I've probably been there three times in the last week because Catherine has decided that why is it this time that I go up and she's thought of every excuse in the book not to go to bed. I need a drink of water. I can't sleep. I'm scared. I need a light on. I need my door open. Why sometimes can I go up there and with grace, filled with grace, I go, baby, it's okay. You're okay. This is the same bed that you've slept in every night since we moved in. You're okay. And I pat her head till she falls asleep. And then at other points, I go up there and I'm not filled with the grace of God. And I go up there and I say, why can't you fall asleep? You do this every night. It's the same routine every night. Just go to bed. Here's why. It's only when this selfish heart has been visited by divine love. It's only when this selfish heart has been transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ that this selfish heart will ever love the way that it is called to love. I have to love as I have been loved. If you love others as Christ has loved you, you do it because grace has visited your soul. When the love of God rules your heart, you will love others. That is true faith. 
That is a natural byproduct of loving God. It's loving others. Look at verse 21. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And so what? What does all this mean to you? Ultimately, we are called to love. You break everything down into it. We are called to love as we have been loved. John, the beloved disciple, as we talked about at the beginning, tells us to love as we have been loved. We all live in different places, and we all live in different circumstances. We all live with different people, and we're called to different things. We may be the family that puts the D in dysfunctional, or we may be the family that looks like they got it all figured out. But the one thing that we have in common, the one thing that will drive our family, if we allow it, is that we are called to love, first and foremost. The love that we are talking about today, a love that can strengthen our families and our communities, gets right to the heart of who God is, because God is love. And His love gets right to the heart of who we were meant to be. Because God is love, because God is in our heart, we are to love like God loves. We are to love as we have been loved, which is unconditionally, sacrificially, others before self. As birds ought to fly, as honey ought to be sweet, we ought to love. As a follower of Jesus Christ, that's who we are. John makes it clear that our obedience is expressed in one single command. Jesus took the ten, put it into two, John puts it into one. If we love God with every single thing that we have, then we will naturally love our neighbor. We will naturally love our families more. As we have read today, if we claim to love God and don't love our neighbor, you've got to ask the question, do we really love God? Because it says in His Word, if we have, whoever loves God must also love his brother. How much more important is this within our families? So let's close it up like this. Let us remember, John is reminding us of the sources of our faith. The source of our faith is Jesus Christ, and Jesus is love. And the love that Jesus has for us. In the war that is being fought for our families, remembering our call to love God and others wins the battles of motivation, wins the battles of contradiction, wins the battle of deception, and ultimately renew our calling which will help us win the war. If we're going to win this war for our families, we have to love as we have been loved. We have to love God as we claim to love God. And we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. Which brings me to the sermon in a sentence. In the constant war that is being waged by the enemy on our families... We must remember that we are called to love as we have been loved. And it is out of that love that we will overcome the battle for our hearts to win our families and show grace to our neighbors. Y'all pray with me.